0: Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon and be blessed.
1: We are thankful that you are here and we gather together this morning to celebrate and to cry out Hosanna, that Jesus, our Savior and Lord, has come to pay the price ultimately so that we could live in relationship with him. So I just want to encourage you. This week is a little bit of a, a busy week here, it's the week before Easter. On Wednesday night, we will continue to have the Bible study that we've been working through frequency. If you've not been a part of that, I want to encourage you. It's not too late. Uh, you can still join us on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. We meet right here in the sanctuary. And then this Thursday, because this is Holy Week, uh, the week leading up to Easter, between Palm Sunday and Easter, uh, we will gather on Thursday night for what we call a Monday Thursday service. It's a little different. You may have never experienced one. It's one of my favorite services of the year uh, because we observe two things that the Lord asked us to in the scriptures. Uh, Two weeks ago, we celebrated baptism. One of the things the Lord said, I want you to follow my example and I want you to do this, to profess your faith. And then this Thursday... There are two more things that the Lord asks us to do that we will observe those and and participate in those. One is communion, where we will take the cup and take the bread that are symbolic of the blood and the body of Jesus Christ that he shed on Calvary's cross for us. And then on that night when Jesus instituted this practice with his disciples, the next thing that he did was he asked the disciples uh, to wash each other's feet. He did that to each of his, his disciples as a demonstration of his humility that he was willing to be a servant to all and so we will participate in that um, here on Thursday night at seven o'clock. And so if you are just not comfortable with that, completely understand. Uh, but we will have communion first, and then we'll take just a little bit break, a little bit of a break, and then we'll have foot washing. But I want to encourage you to be here um, this Thursday night, if at all possible. And then next Sunday, as Pastor Brooke shared, is Easter Sunday. I hope that you will invite somebody to join you next Sunday to celebrate. Not only the God who came to die for us, but died to pay the price for the world's sins. And so let's gather together next Sunday in celebration of that. So we're going to continue this week um, talking about Colossians, or or studying the book of Colossians, and talking about how to build a presence-centered life. Now, as we said the first week, a presence-centered life is not a life centered on our own selves, but instead uh, we are following Christ's example, how he was centered on God the Father. And so we want to build a life focused on him. So we're going to take a look at Colossians chapter 2. I'd intended to be finished with the book of Colossians this morning, uh, but here we are at the beginning of chapter 2. And so uh, we'll, see, we'll see where we go um, in the next several weeks. But I want to look at Colossians chapter 2 and Paul's writings. But before we begin, I just want to ask you a question. What is it for you that makes life worth living? What is it for you that makes life worth living? Uh, As a parent, it is exciting seeing the development of our two daughters. And so that is very exciting. And some people might say that as a parent watching your children, that is something that makes life worth living. There are other people that would say it is this Or it is that that actually makes life worth living. And so in the magazine Psychology Today, they actually put out a poll and they surveyed. It was actually a scientific poll, according to them. And they put out a survey and asked people, what is it that makes life worth living? And they came back with the top four things. And I want to share them with you. Number four, and this was interesting. Because number four included three things, but uh, it wasn't my poll. So they're the, they're number four, it's love, work, and play. Love, work, and play. Number three was happiness. Happiness. The number three thing that people in the United States said, the number three thing that makes life worth living is happiness. What happens when you're not happy, I wonder? What is it that happens when you're not happy? Number two, they say is Religion. Religion is what makes life worth living. And the number one thing psychology today discovered when they surveyed people in the United States, this was mind-boggling to me, the number one thing that makes life worth living is nothing, nothing. What is it that makes life worth living for you? I don't know if you've ever thought about this. I don't know if you've ever pondered this. What is, it that you, what, what is it that gets you up in the morning and gets you going on cold days like today, where it's much easier just to stay home and to, to wrap yourself up and, and to just stay warm? What is it that makes life worth living? There is a, a website called Reddit, and I've, I've never been on Reddit until this week, but they actually asked their users the same question, and they came back uh, with a top 10 list, but their top 10 list included 11 things, and so I think it's already skewed as we begin. Top 10 things from Reddit of what makes life worth living. Number 11, laughter. So you, you just laughed and made life worth living here. Number 10, a dream to inspire and make a difference. That one sounds interesting. Number nine, Good food. Hey, there are some days, right? There are some days. There's just nothing better than, uh, well, food. Good food. It's great. Number eight, and this one was interesting because I wanted, I wish that I could have asked some clarifying questions of this one. Number eight was animals. Animals. They didn't say what kind of animals, so I don't know if if people are thinking it's elephants, if they're thinking it's giraffes, if they're thinking it's dogs. We all know that it's not cats, so it could possibly be that one. (laughs) Number seven, for you cat people, I I, uh, wanna meet you after church over here. We'll pray for you. We'll anoint you and lay hands on you that you would see the light in this one. Number seven, from Reddit, top 10 things that uh, make life worth living. Number seven, that one day I will improve myself. One day, not today, It's one day in the future. Number six, that hopefully, hopefully, I will be in a great, loving relationship. Number five, this one blew me away. Of the top ten things, number five said, my son. What about the daughters? They didn't make the list. It's not my list. Don't be upset at me. It just says my son. Number four, music. Number three, it's the little things in life. Number two, to make somebody proud. And number one, the power to make other people's lives better. Well, if we're going to talk about building a present-centered life as a church, and we're going to open the scriptures, and we want to build our lives in the way that Jesus built his life, we need to know what is it that actually makes life worth living, Bill Gaither actually wrote about it in a song, and I know there have been countless others that have written about it in songs. But I think for a moment, it's important for us as a church that says, hey, we know that we have to be a refuge of grace. We have to know what is it that makes life worth living. Because we all have experienced, and if you haven't, you will before long. We all have experienced days where it just seems like anything that could go wrong will go wrong that we've all been the Charlie Brown with Lucy holding the football for us, and we think today's the day, right? I'm going to kick the football, and it's actually going to do what I want it to do. And then we get up to kick the football, and Lucy actually pulls the football away from us, and we flip. Every one of us, if you haven't, you will, have experienced days like that. And there are some days when you wake up, if we'll just be honest with ourselves, there are some days that you just don't want to get out of bed. And it's in those moments that a presence-centered life, a life centered on Jesus Christ, that makes those days worth living. The Colossian church, I've shared this with you several times, but I, I want you to catch this. The Colossian church that we've been reading about, that the Apostle Paul had written a letter to, he hadn't been there. He had sent a missionary over there. They began a church. He had gotten some word back that there were some people teaching some bad stuff in this church. And there were some people that were actually teaching what you needed to do in order to make life here on the earth worth living. And the Apostle Paul in his letter is saying to the Colossian believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ, there are some bad teachings that are based upon the principles of this world and based upon human traditions. And as we read what Paul is writing, Paul is really saying human traditions and things that are based upon the principles of this world are not what makes life worth Living. Recreation, be it boating, be it uh, hiking, be it whatever, those things don't make life worth living. They make life a little bit more enjoyable, but we don't live for those things. You must have an answer reconciled within the core of your soul of what is it that makes life worth living. And I want you to know that if your answer is based upon anything here on the earth, we read about several in these lists from Psychology Today and from the website Reddit, all of those things at some point are going to fade away. And then what is it that's going to make life worth living for you? If it is not a presence-centered life, you're going to be disappointed at some point. There is a foundation that Paul is telling us about in the book of Colossians that we have to build our life upon. So follow with me in Colossians chapter 2. I want to read the beginning and then we're going to get down to some key verses here. We read some of this in some past weeks, but I just want you to catch this. We'll read verse 2 through 5 or 1 through 5. Chapter 2. I want you to know How much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have all the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine, fine sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So I shared this passage with you in in a past sermon uh, as we were looking at building a present centered life. And we talked about one aspect of this, but I want you to catch this morning before we read the next section, this struggle that Paul is actually having. Now remember, these are not people that he's actually met before. This is not a church that he was ever there to start and to plant it. He sent somebody to start this church. And so this is now a second or third generation church that is then attached to the Apostle Paul. But what Paul is saying here, and and I want you to catch this, is he is really struggling here. He is really doing that spiritual warfare that we talked about uh, two weeks ago. He's fighting for this church. I want you to know that if you are building a present-centered life, a life that is focused on Jesus Christ, then it is something that is worth fighting for. Because Paul says, you Colossian believers have not gotten to this place yet. And so I'm going to be the one that is fighting on your behalf so that you are able to grow or mature in your faith. And Paul is saying, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to fight for your faith. I am going to fight so that you can realize what it is that makes life worth living. So last week, we pointed out that we have an obligation to encourage one another. And then at the end of our service, we did something a little bit weird. As we sang the closing song, we all stood up and we found people to begin encouraging each other. And I hope that you continued that practice this past week of just finding people to encourage them and to lift them up. That is putting into practice fighting for our faith. And then Paul gets to Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7, and this is what he says. And I want you to catch these two verses because they're amazing. And I can't get these verses over this past couple of weeks. I can't get these verses out of my mind after I've read these verses. Verse 6 and 7, Paul says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Let's keep reading. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives lives in bodily form. We started actually talking about that. And you have been given fullness in Christ. Do you see what Paul is saying there in in verse number 10? You have been given fullness in Christ. You have been given, and he intentionally wrote these words, fullness in Christ. Listen, if you feel that your life is empty this morning, if you feel that you have not found the reason that life is worth living for, the Apostle Paul is saying it is right here in what he is saying to us. It is in Jesus Christ, in the fullness of the deity, the Godhead. God came in the flesh. He wrapped himself in flesh and spent just over three decades here on the earth to die so that we would be able to discover and have the fullness that comes in relationship with Him. Paul says, here is the secret to what makes life worth living. Here is the secret to building a presence-centered life. It is all 100% in Jesus Christ. And then look at verse 6 again. I wanna go back and look at verse six. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you because I've highlighted the end and then we're gonna add verse seven and look at six and seven with some highlights as well. Paul says, so then, these are some action words. Paul's not just saying, all right, we're gonna move on to something else. He says, so then, there is some action here for us. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, here's what you have to do. If you know Jesus as your personal savior, there are some things that you need to do. And he says, continue to live your lives in him. Isn't that awesome? It, it may, it's common sense, isn't it right? We receive Jesus and then we continue to live our lives in him. But how often do we yield to the temptation of the enemy and we think, I've received Jesus, now my work is done, I can do and go about and, and wherever I want and do whatever I want. That's not what Paul is saying here. Paul says, you received Jesus Christ as your Lord. We had an experience with Jesus where we knew we were lost and undone, and we needed a Savior. We received Him as the payment for our sin debt that we could never pay. We took Him as our Lord and our Savior. And then Paul says, it's not finished just there, just yet. You have to build a presence centered life and continue to live your lives in him. In him. It's not a relationship with Jesus is not simply get saved and just quit. It's not simply I've got Jesus, the work is done and it is finished. Paul says, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue walking in him. Continue to live your lives in him. You see, Jesus did his part, and Paul says, now it's time for you to do your part. What is it that makes life worth living? It's a present-centered life where we continue to live our lives in Jesus Christ. There is action that we must actually do. Not get saved and stop, but get saved and continue growing, living your life in Jesus Christ. Paul says, as we walk in Christ, we should then grow in Christ. It's not just, I'm born new. It's not, Jesus talked about being born two different times. You're born in a physical birth, and then you're born in a spiritual birth. It's not just, I'm born and then I stop growing. It's I'm born, and then I'm going to do everything I can to structure my life to be a life centered upon him, upon his presence that's continuing to live my life in him. And if there is anything in my life around me that causes me to not be centered upon his presence, and then, I'm going, then I'm going to remove that. I'm going to take that out of the way, and I'm going to continue to live my life in him. If you were at our, uh, our study this past Wednesday night, I actually shared about Lucy beginning to drive, and so I snapped this photo this week. Uh, we are at the intersection of Nova and Dunlawton here, and she said, Dad, I don't want you to take that photo, so just pretend you didn't see that photo, okay? Let's just wipe it out of our imagination." The amazing thing about Lucy driving, though, is God is teaching me so much through this. And it's not that she's a bad driver, and so I'm over there praying the whole time that she's driving. That's, that's not what the Lord is teaching me in this at all. Is I'm watching Lucy, not just in driving, and not uh, in other areas of her life. And it's the, it's the same for Abby. It's just the Lord has caused me to rethink this as, uh, as, I'm learning to, as they're learning, she's learning to drive. Uh, but watching both of them grow in their faith and continue to, to live in Jesus Christ is just amazing as a parent. But as Lucy's learning to drive, I shared this past Wednesday, one of the things that was tough the first couple times that she drove was the braking part. The going part, we were good. We could go. It was that braking part. And so there were a few times, a lot of times, that I said to Lucy, Lucy, brake, 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 break. break, 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 break. And so I was trying to do it in a nice way, trying to be encouraging all through it, but I wanted her to know it was important right now, you've gotta hit the brake. And so what I have noticed is I'm not having to say that to Lucy very much. Uh, once in a blue moon, I'll, I'll now say that Lucy, you need to actually hit the brake. Lucy, break, brake, 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 brake. She's doing it now on her own. And you know why? Because she's learning as she goes. And I have told her how important it is at this point, we're going to keep this distance between these cars, we're going to actually stop at this point whenever we know we're going to turn, so we're not taking a turn on two wheels, and so this is, this is when we're actually going to begin to brake. It's awesome, because I'm not having to tell her about that much anymore. I don't have to tell her, Lucy, you need to brake, because she has grown up and she is actually maturing as she is driving. I think what Paul is saying to us here in Colossians 2, 6, you need to grow up in your faith with Jesus Christ. You don't have to wait for God to tell you to break when he's already told you that you need to break. You just simply need to be obedient to the things the Lord has said to you in the past. And if the Lord has said something in the past to you, my assumption is God is not going to change his mind. My assumption is God has spoken some things to us in the past that we need to go back and ask the Lord, where have I been disobedient in the past so that I can be obedient in the now and in the future? This is continuing to live your lives in Him. And Paul says to the Colossian believers, there are some bad teachers over here. Don't listen to them. You need to continue to live your life in Jesus Christ and grow up in maturity and confidence. Living a present centered life is living our lives in Him. And listen, this alone is what makes life worth living. If you came in this morning and you were putting all of your eggs, if you will, in the basket, of maybe recreation or in the basket of family or in the basket of some other possession that you have in your life, I want to ask you this morning, if you have received Christ as your Savior, to continue living your lives focused first on Him and nothing else. Jesus reminded us that whenever we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then all of the other things are going to be provided for us, or they're going to be given to us. Jesus's reminder was Paul's reminder. I guess I should say Paul's reminder was Jesus's reminder. That it is first a life built upon the presence of Jesus Christ and then everything else is going to simply take care of itself because God is in the midst of all of these things. You see, life doesn't just work itself out. It's the presence of Jesus that works life out. We've all tried to live life without the presence of Jesus, and at some point, that house of cards is going to come tumbling down. But whenever Jesus is in the midst, things change. Whenever Jesus' presence is there, it's all of a sudden we don't have to take that responsibility because he holds the responsibility. We are just living our lives in the presence of Jesus Christ. So I want to take you back to this first verse that we actually begin in the beginning of I think it was the beginning of of of, of um, March. That was the month I was trying to think of. Uh, we began in the presence of uh, we began in the beginning of March, looking at a verse in Genesis chapter six seventeen. So I want to remind you of this. I've shared it with you over and over because it's relevant to what Paul is saying here. And I actually caught a glimpse of this this week, and I just want to share it with you. Genesis seventeen verse one and two. When Abram was 99 years old, you remember the Lord had given a promise. There have been some silent years here. We don't have any record of God actually speaking to Abram here. Some silent years here. Uh, God says you're going to have so many descendants. They're going to outnumber the stars. It hasn't happened yet. Now Abram's 99 years old. The Lord appeared and to, to Abram, and this is what he said. Verse 1 and 2, Genesis 17. Catch this. I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithful and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. So the key words here are walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Walk before me. So let me go back to Colossians chapter 2 and just read something to you right quick because this blew my mind away. If we, I'm not an expert on Greek. I'm not an expert on Hebrew. I'm not an expert on, on, on um, biblical languages. I read what other people wrote about biblical languages, um, and, then, and then take that in and then digest it. As I began to study what Paul was saying here in some commentaries and some people that actually written about this, this phrase here, live your lives in him, is very similar and matches the phrase here, walk before me faithfully. Walk before me faithfully and live your lives in him. This is what a biblical expert in languages wrote about it. Paul has already told the Colossian believers about their faith, that they should be orderly and firm despite life's struggles, continuing to live in him. The verb here is used literally to refer to a person that is walking. That is walking. Walking in Christ. And this refers to the way that a person should live his or her life. What Paul is literally saying matches what God said to Abram and how he said, Abram, I want you to build a life centered on my presence. Now Paul is saying to the Colossian believers, our brothers and sisters, just keep walking in Christ. He says, you already received Christ Jesus as Lord, now you need to live your lives in him, or you just need to keep walking with Christ. So I want you to think about, for just a moment with me, what it is like to walk with someone in the physical world. So imagine that I asked you if you would like to go on a walk with me. And let's just imagine wherever you want to imagine in your mind, we're going to go on a walk. The one thing when someone says, do you want to go on a walk with me? What they mean is you're going to kind of be side by side, right? Have you ever tried to walk with somebody that gets way ahead of you? And you're like, hello, hey, I'm back here. I thought we were going to go on a walk together. So whenever someone says, I want you to walk with me. What they mean is that you're going to actually walk together. There's not going to be one person way ahead. There's not going to be one person that's actually left behind. It is a together walk. You know another way to say that? When you're walking with God, you are walking in a presence-centered relationship with Him. You don't get way ahead of God and leave God way back there. God should not be getting way ahead of you because that's saying, hey, I need to catch up with what God is actually doing. When you walk with somebody, you go together. And you know what else you do? You travel in the same direction. If, God said, or if, some, if I were to say to you, let's go on a walk together, and we were standing here together, I would not say, all right, you go that direction, and I'm gonna go this direction, and we'll see how far we have to go before we meet up again. No, that's not what you do on a walk with somebody. You don't go one way and they go the other way. You walk in the same direction. Paul is saying to the Colossian believers, live your lives in him. Keep walking with him in the same direction, step by step, together as you go. How many times, I don't want you to raise your hand. I'll raise my hand because I'm guilty of it. How many times have you got ahead of Jesus in your walk with Him? I have. I have done it. Or how many times have you let God get ahead of you? Or better yet, I'll raise my hand because I've done it. You don't have to. How many times has God gone one one direction and then you've gone the other direction? The invitation from Jesus Christ was that He would walk with you. It was, hey, let's go on a walk together. Let's go in the same direction together. Let's stay step by step together in walking with each other, living a presence-centered life. Do you know what else you do on a walk with God? I love this. If you, or if you think about walking with somebody and then how that relates to walking with God, do you know what else you do when you walk with somebody? You have a gentle, con- a gentle conversation, Right? When you walk with somebody, you talk with somebody. Just like the song says, and he walks with me, and he talks with me. I bet, I don't know, but I bet the author of that song was thinking of what it was like to take a walk with somebody here in the physical world. And he was thinking, what is it like to walk with somebody that I know? They walk together in the same direction, and they enjoy conversation with one another. I've shared with you in the past that we have a we have a little dog, his name's Yoda. He runs the house. He's the boss of the house. It used to be it was never me. Um, It used to I used to think that it was me, Um, but now it is Yoda. Yoda is the king of the house. Yoda likes to take walks at night. You're supposed to take your dog for a walk. I've asked some of the girl I've asked the girls sometimes, hey, you want to go on a walk with me and Yoda? Somehow the dog was for Lucy and Abby, but I have the obligation to walk Yoda. I haven't been so good about it over the past couple of weeks. But anyway, this is my confession for the day. Uh, I've asked the girls, hey, do you want to go on a walk with me and Yoda? And more often than not, they don't want to go on a walk with me me and Yoda. And so what I do is I have a conversation with Yoda, just like he's one of them talking. And I know that there are people in our neighborhood. uh, We walk past the Gattons' house. They live right around the corner from us. And... um, Uh, They'll come out sometimes, and sometimes some of the other neighbors go out, and I'll say hello, and I'll just keep right on talking to Yoda and just keep right on having a conversation with Yoda. Yoda knows more about you guys than probably anybody else in the world because it's just enjoyable as you walk. You just have a conversation, and I'll talk to Yoda about you know, stay out of that yard, they don't like to have dogs in that yard, and he doesn't have a clue what I'm saying, and so he's a safe conversation. But the beauty of walking with somebody is talking with somebody. Maybe for you, the next step in your relationship with Jesus Christ that says, I'm going to continue to live my life in Him is to walk and talk with Him, talking with God. He's your Savior. He wants to talk with you. We begin the Bible by Jesus or by God talking and we end the Bible in the book of Revelation the next to last verse is God actually talking. God was a communicator in the garden, he was a communicator in the wilderness, he was a communicator through the vessels that he used. He was here on the earth and he said I'm going to send the Holy Spirit when I ascend back to my father's throne and I'm seated at the right hand and the Holy Spirit is his communicator here. He said he will speak the words that we give to him. God God has never stopped being a communicator. He wants to talk with you as you walk with Him. You have to catch what God wants to do in your life because this is what makes life worth living. This is a presence centered life. So I want to add verse 7. And then I want to highlight a few things here. I used Easter colors because this is the week before Easter to get you warmed up for Easter. This is Colossians 2, 6, and 7. And this is what Paul says. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue, first thing, live your lives in him. You have to live your lives in him. You're walking with him. You're talking with him. Your life is centered upon his presence. And then he gives us a few things that we need to do. The first, Paul says, you have to be rooted and built up in him. It's rooted and built up in him. The second thing is you have to be strengthened in the faith as you were taught. And the third thing, overflowing with thankfulness. And so I wrote it out because I want to ask you to take a photo of this. And I want to ask you to hang on to this. And I want to ask you, as you walk and talk with God this week, Paul said, live your lives in Him. And then he said, this is what you do when you're living a present-centered life, a life centered upon Jesus Christ. You're rooted and built up in Him. You're strengthened in the faith. And then you're overflowing with thankfulness. I'm not going to preach about each one of these things here. This would make a perfect three-point sermon. That's what Paul is writing. It's a three-point sermon here that Paul is saying. It's all in verse 6 and verse 7 of Colossians chapter 2. I want to ask you to walk and talk with the Lord about these three things. And then let the Spirit reveal to you what it's like to be rooted and built up in Him. You know what I think about when I read this, read this verse? Rooted and built up in Him. David actually wrote about it in one of the Psalms. He said it's like a tree that's planted by the water. And this tree that's planted by the water has deep roots that have grown way down into the ground, so that if any storm or anything that would intend to knock this tree over comes along, because this this tree has deep, deep roots, and it's been built up here on the bank, it's not going to be destroyed, and it's not going to fall over, because it has roots that are going to hang on to it. It's just like building a building. The foundation of the building has to be solid, no matter how big or small the building, so that as the ground settles, or as anything in the environment above the ground happens, the building is not going to fall over and be destroyed. If you want to live a present-centered life, you have to be rooted and built up in Him. So what are you putting your roots in? What are you putting your roots in? Are you counting on your job? Are you counting on your family? Are you counting on some earthly possession where your roots can only go so far down? Oh, you can last some storms. You can make it through some of the struggles and heartaches here on the earth, if that is the case. But over time, over time, it's all going to crumble. Paul says you have to be rooted and built up in him. The second thing Paul says, you have to be strengthened in the faith. Strengthened in the faith. faith. Who is strengthening your faith? Who is it in hard times in life that's strengthening your faith? Are they pointing you back to Jesus? Or are they saying this is what you should do? Or this is what you should do? Who is it that's strengthening your faith? Oh, sure, you have a part in that. You have a role, and you have an obligation in that. However, you have to make certain that you have people around you that are strengthening your faith. It doesn't matter how mature you are in your faith or how new you are in your faith. There have to be people around you to strengthen your faith. And so I want to encourage you this week to assess not only number one and number two, what are you putting your roots in, What are you building up? But think about who is surrounding you that's helping you strengthen your faith. And then if there is nobody, you've got to begin to find people to place in your life that are going to help you be built up, to help your roots grow down, and those are people that strengthen you in your faith. This is living a present-centered life. And then the third thing is it's overflowing with thankfulness. Have you just ever been around a sourpuss before Mm. they drain everything out of you, don't they? It's just like they're leeches and they're just sucking every ounce of energy out of you. You've got to find people around you that are not only helping you put your roots down and helping build you up, are not only strengthening you in your faith, but they are thankful people as well. Because we all can't be the Linuses, We all can't be the doom and gloom type of people. We have to be a people that are overflowing with thankfulness. And how is this possible? Paul said, it's because as you received Christ Jesus... You have received Christ Jesus. And then at the end of Colossians chapter 2, he says, Listen, this is what God has done for you in verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Don't, do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship in false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack the value of restraining the indulgence. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Paul says you have to, because you want to build a present-centered life, and because you want to make life worth living, you have to set your mind on the things of Christ. The way that you do that is when you are walking and talking with Him. You're rooted and built up in Him. You are strengthened in your faith and you then can become overflowing with thankfulness. It's important. It is important for you to build a present-centered life. And so have you been walking and talking with God? Or have you been saying, God, you, you, go, you go on up ahead. I'm just going to hang out back here for a little bit. You go ahead and go in that direction. There's just something over here that I want to deal with or I I just want to take care of. That's not living your lives in Him. That's not living a present-centered life. That is living a life outside of relationship with Jesus Christ. And you know what? God wants to walk with you. God desires to talk with you. He's just waiting on you to surrender completely to him. And so this morning, I want to ask you to live out a moment of surrender and say, God, I'm ready to live a life in you. I am ready to walk and talk with you. Please forgive me of those times where you were walking and I got way ahead or I just decided to lag behind or I wasn't staying in step with you And I wasn't willing to have a conversation with you. I want to ask you, God, this morning to help me be rooted and built up in you, strengthened in the faith, and then overflowing with thankfulness. This is the Christ that wants to meet with you this morning. This is the God who loved you so much that he left his throne in heaven and wrapped himself in flesh to pay the price on Calvary's cross so that you could live your life in him. And through his Holy Spirit, he is here this morning and he's ready to walk and talk with you. Would you then surrender to him?
0: Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's word together. Until next time, have a great week.